This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Indeed. Okay, let's go. Let's rock and roll. Episode two. So I don't need to do levels levels for this episode because we are recording this episode directly after the Mm -hmm. previous episode (laughs) yeah well we've taken a 45 minute break for refueling but we are straight back into it because obviously this is now an episode out of time right this is an episode out of time five okay i would like to petition this one to be called episode but replace s with a five so it's episode out of time epiphive out of time you know? At be 5 would out of time? Yeah, well, you still set his episode. Why do you say it episode? I don't know if you are familiar with the Fast and Furious franchise. You take one wild guess, Mike. Okay. Mm. You've definitely heard of it. I'm a super fan. I love, I've seen every single one. Are you being serious? And I love them. Yeah, yeah. It's got The Rock and Cars. Well, they do now. What more could you want? Okay. Well, that's... <laughs> so, but why do you pronounce episode with a five as well, episode? Because this is a thing in these types of movies where they start hiding the numbers inside of the name. It's not really hidden, though. Right, but like, as in, it's not an episode out of time five. The five is still there, but it's like put inside something else. Okay. Anyway, I think they did this at some point. Oh, yeah, Too Fast, Too Furious. Okay. They used the number two instead of the word two. This is like Fan Four Stick, the Fantastic Four movie with the four All of that stuff. Yes, that is is the thing that I'm going for. But in general, I'm going for like Fast and Furious type naming with these. Okay, sure. So I think maybe like the next one, we like reboot the entire show. Because I think that's what happens, like, at some point. Well, I think Fast Five, which is where we're at kind of now in the lore, I guess. I think this is when The Rock joins. No, Fast and Furious 6 is just Fast and Furious 6. They don't try to hide it, right? They're not, like, right. f- Fix Sticks and Furious 6, right? They don't do anything like that. You'll be super upset to know, then, that because of coronavirus, they've pushed F9 11 months. Oh, okay. It was supposed to come out in, in May this year? Right. And it's now going to come out in April 2021. I don't understand. I, I need continuing plot threads for Shaw and, you know, what's going on with him. This is like, I my mind is blown right now. I, and I genuinely am not sure if you're being serious or not. Well, I, I, like, I don't know why I would ever, I don't know why I would mess with you on this kind of thing. Like, that's not, that's not what I would do. But anyway, like, that seems ridiculous that they're pushing it back that much as a fantastic head, as we're called. <laughs> Fast, I, I, demand. <laughs> <laughs> I demand the fast and furious community is up in arms i don't even understand have they not finished filming no it's like, done it was coming out in may oh okay so but so like they haven't run run across like oh gal gadot's filming schedule is no it lining up they, they've anything? just decided to move it because no one's going to the cinema right now oh like some of the movies have been moved to later in the year so like the new james bond movie got moved to november right it was supposed to come out in april but it was kind of funny because in the announcement they're like we decided to, to just like slightly delay the movie it will now be coming out in 11 months which seems like a, you know they re- really obviously they know that for whatever reason april may is the best time for a fast and furious movie to come out so they're not going right, to move yeah. it to the holidays because that's not obviously when they feel these movies are good. So they're going okay. to push it all the way back around again. And they're probably just trying to avoid Marvel and stuff like that would be my expectation. 
Right, right. Okay. All right. That makes sense. I, I, like I'm, I'm sitting here like a total dummy thinking it was something with the production. But no, of course, it's it's the fact that we can't have people in movie theaters yep. because there's a pandemic. It just... Yep. Because we're still recording on the actual day that we recorded the last episode. It's It's a little bit of, as we were discussing before that episode, still thinking... We're just in the the time frame when people have act like the general population has gen has become concerned about this, and so anything could have happened by the time this episode comes out. Anything could have happened by the time this comes out, but also even for me, my brain is is still not quite processing. Why are you delaying your movie? Oh, right, because movie theaters are not a not a thing. Mm -hmm. Don't go to them. But anyway, episode out five. Wait, episode out of time five. No, yeah, I've hidden the five in the straight. wrong place. Yeah, ep ep epiphytoed out of time. <laughs> yep. That's that's the episode that we're doing today. Cortexmerch.com. Cortexmerch.com. Oh, no. Oh, that was a good one. I like that one. We are doing merch for one specific reason, and then we also had another good idea. Uh, this is yeah. episode 99 of Cortex, yeah. which is... Can you believe it? We've done so many actually, of these. As I just said that, I couldn't believe it. So our next episode is going to be episode 100. So on sale right now at cortexmerch.com, a 100th episode commemorative t-shirt. It is my favorite t-shirt design that we have ever come up with. Our designer, Simon, completely knocked it out of the park. It is a yeah. Cortex logo that looks like an app, and it has an unread badge of 100, which is yeah. so, so good. It's perfect. I, I have to say, Simon always does great work. But this this one in particular, I think I have never had a shorter amount of time between how long did it take my brain to visually process what I'm looking at for a t-shirt design and how fast was I like, double thumbs up, I love this. Yep. Like, it's just instantly legible and I totally love it. It's, a, it's such a great idea for the commemorative 100 episode t-shirt it's absolutely perfect it's yep. absolutely perfect and we loved it so much that we're going to offer this one in a couple of different things so we're doing the regular t-shirt we also have a cortex 100th episode commemorative t pro which is a mega special <laughs> foil printed version so the the unread badge the red unread badge is going to be printed in foil right it is more of an expensive item we've done this before we had a gold leaf version a gold foil version of our, <laughs> of our of a just to just to be clear just to be clear if if you have the gold cortex shirts it's, it's not, not gold leaf, leaf. <laughs> it's just right? gold just, foil right. <laughs> it's got 24 karat gold Right. I love wearing yeah. that one. I I have one of those, and I like it very much. Uh, but yeah, that that is a more expensive version because it's got a much much more complicated uh, printing right. method. There's a reason pro stuff is more expensive. Yeah, and this is because it's made with with shiny red gold foil. And exactly, it's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, we're also doing stickers. I don't think we've ever sold stickers before. But again, I like this artwork so much that I thought it should live in a few different ways. So you can get a two pack of some stickers. Those are limited though. So the t-shirts we're doing the typical pre-order that we do with t-shirts. So we'll make as many as we sell. But we have a limited amount of the stickers. So just as an FYI. So if you like the sticker, don't wait. Get it. And then we also have something that I'm very excited about. 
Uh, it seemed inevitable at this point. A Levels Levels t-shirt. Look at who's come around to Levels Levels. That's you, Mike. Levels mm. Levels is amazing, and it deserves to be a t-shirt. I don't yes, think I ever I, had I a problem it. with Levels Levels. <laughs> I think it was just surprising. <laughs> it was just the surprising thing to come across. But I have standardized now that that is the way that podcasters should greet each other. Yeah. So yeah, we have a Levels Levels t-shirt in a variety of wonderful colors. Uh, you can see all of these and buy all of these right now at cortexmerch.com. These are only available for two weeks. We won't be reminding you again. So if you want to go get them, go get them. The sale will be over of these shirts before our 100th episode. So maybe yes. some of you might even, have, they might be on the way to you by the time our episode comes out, you know, or you could just wait a little bit, get your t-shirt, put your t-shirt on and listen to episode 100, which I can't <laughs> believe we're approaching. I know. So many Cortex episodes, Mike. The number is so, it's so high. The number is large. I'm not even sure there's any other podcast that has a number as big as 100. It's it's just like a shocking I just recorded episode 400 of The Pen Addict, like two weeks ago. Oof. <laughs> Do you know, though, Gray, like we are just a couple of months away from having worked on this project for five years. Really? Yeah. That's a, that's a long time. June 2015 was our first episode. Oh, my God. That was a different man back then. We both were. Yeah. Who were the people who started this show? We don't even know them anymore. Nope. They're past us, and now here we are, continuing the path of life, always becoming a new person, discarding the old person. <laughs> but still talking to Mike. On Mikey that tweak. note, cortexmerch.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we promised uh, Cortex Movie Club for this episode, and we are going to be talking about Inside Bill's Brain, a three-part documentary series on Netflix talking about Bill Gates. The episodes are kind of broken down into three little stories, and they tell different things that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are up to, and Mm. also kind of refer those back to Bill's history. This is the first time you've seen it, right? Yeah, so I I watched it last night. I just sat down and watched the whole thing in a row. Mm-hmm. Very watchable as a mm. single thing. Like, I, I don't think they even need to really divide it up into episodes. I mean, it's just Netflix, right? They know you're watching it all in one go. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, but that's also partly why I feel like, who are we kidding, Netflix, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like, what, do you, what do you think I'm doing? Watching this one episode a week? Like, let's get real. Just make it one thing. Yep. It was easy to binge. It flows from the start to the finish. Yep. It's it's really well made. It's incredibly so, well yeah. made. And it's very cleverly made as well. Yeah. The second episode, I think, is the best episode from a narrative perspective. That's when they're focusing on the polio vaccine. Right. And talking about his history. And yep. they overlap the problems, right? So, like, him trying to isolate and work out and calculate where to put the vaccine and then also calculating how to do the school schedules. And they just yeah. overlap the conversations and it's fascinating. It's it's so well done. I think it's difficult to not have a lot of respect for Bill Gates, right? Like, I, yeah. I, I don't know anybody who cares about technology that does not respect Bill Gates as an individual, like on his contribution. But this gave me even more so for him, you know, like seeing, really seeing in detail the work that the foundation is doing was, it was really enlightening to me. And Mm -hmm. I came away from it feeling even warmer about 
Bill Gates than they did before. Yeah, it's interesting because I was thinking before watching the documentary last night that it's like just trying to think about my history of Bill Gates of, of like what have I thought about this person because he's been a a large figure on the technological landscape for the course of my life and. It's funny because just trying to think about what were the phases of of my thoughts about him. And I remember sort of early in in my computing use time having this feeling like, oh, computers are crazy and and we need someone to come in here and totally unify this system. That like, oh, if we have all these wildly different working computers, what a big problem this is. And and we just like we need a, a dominant market player here to make everything work together so that all these computers can be great. And then years later, I became embarrassingly when I was using Linux, one of these people who would like write Microsoft with the dollar sign. Oh, I know, right? right? Like, no. I, I know I did that a couple of times on bulletin boards, and it's like, oh god, past me. Like, I can't roll my eyes hard enough at that person. If I'm writing notes like sometimes like very fast i will do m dollar sign for microsoft yeah but that's that's like an abbreviation right not a not an embarrassment but, I, but that right. abbreviation comes from terrible nerds like you who wrote microsoft yeah, oh, right, of a dollar yeah. sign right like that's that's how i know about that yeah and looking back on it it's it's just funny because um <laughs> You know, again, like that's that's the height of my insufferable Linux userness. Yeah, and I also love it because it's it's the kind of thing that, in retrospect, betrays a total edgy lack of understanding anything about the world. Mm. Right? Like that's I think that's the kind of a thing when you're younger and you're like, oh my god, did you know that this business is trying to make money? And it's like, oh, and they want to be the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like, kid, I, I, I don't even know where to start yeah. with this, right? Like, I get why you're angry and why you and a bunch of Linux hippies want to build an operating system made out of flowers together. And it's like, it's great, but also, Jesus Christ, is that embarrassing? This episode of Cortex is brought to you in part by DoorDash. Between never-ending laundry cycles, incoming emails, and you're working from home, you've got plenty on your to-do list. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. Maybe you want Chinese, your partner wants pizza, maybe everybody's craving some frozen yogurt. There's something for everyone on DoorDash. You can order it all at the same time, have them bring it to you. It's awesome. You can also continue supporting restaurants in your community safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash. They need your patronage now more than ever, and you can support your favorite restaurants right now on DoorDash. You've counted on them, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. This is a great thing. I think this is awesome. You get to support the the restaurants that you love while still getting to eat the food that you want, not having to worry about cooking something. Right now, I feel like I have more to do than I've ever had to do and being able to have food brought to me is awesome and also being able to choose from the restaurants that I love is great. DoorDash is the app that brings the food that you're craving right now to your door. Ordering is super easy. You open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with their new contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local favorites or choose from some national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, the Cheesecake Factory, and more. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite and your food will be left at your doorstep with a contactless delivery. 
Right now, listeners of this show can get $5 off your first order of $15 or more with zero delivery fees for the first month when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code Cortex. This is the perfect time to try out DoorDash and you'll get $5 off your first order and zero delivery fees for a month when you download the DoorDash app and in the app store enter the code Cortex. Don't forget, that's the code Cortex for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. So that was at one point in my life. And then I knew that he started this like charity that was focused on the third world. And I, I remember just thinking like, oh, what an odd choice. Like he made all of his money from the first world. And now he's he's spending all his money in the third world. And at some point, like between learning about the foundation and then like fast forward a decade of just hearing about Bill Gates in the background in these various ways, I totally changed my mind on him as a person. I just think it's an interesting case of, like, I was one of these people who at a time thought, like, oh, Bill Gates is this terrible person. Mm -hmm. And the documentary goes over the course of his life. And without a doubt, he was an abrasive guy when he was younger. But there's, there's also just this way in which people change or you can have incorrect assessments of that person. And I've gone from thinking Bill Gates is this terrible person to I think my current status is if you have to try to make a short list of who of the humans on Earth are trying and succeeding to make the world a place with less suffering in it. It's like Bill Gates has got to be pretty high on that list yeah. of of like how many people are actually doing and accomplishing things that reduce the suffering of humanity. And it's not necessarily that he cares more than anybody else. It's that he is doing it. Yeah. And he has the resources to do it, right? Like that's why like he has so much money, but lots of people have lots of money. Yeah. And yeah. they don't do what he's doing. So it is a very interesting thing to see. It's interesting to see how him and Melinda approach the things that they approach and how they tackle them. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that people can criticize some of his methods, mm -hmm. the decisions that he makes. Like there's this one moment where he's talking about like, we pick the things that we think we can have the most impact on. Mm -hmm. So I got like a couple of quotes here. The documentarian was asking him, how do they choose what he wants, what diseases he wants to try and eradicate? And then Bill says like, it's not my goal to be inspiring to people. The world has limited resources I have resources and I want to focus on the things that I can get the most optimization out of and the best results, mm -hmm. which like is a very nerdy way to think about philanthropy. But it makes sense when you think about it, right? Where it's like there yeah. could be, in theory, on paper, better things for him to focus on, mm -hmm. but he puts his money where he believes he can make the most difference. And it continues to be more relevant right now because he is investing a lot of money into coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny, like a few weeks ago, he sat down with MKBHD and he did an interview. This happens every year oh, now when the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have a letter, like an open letter. Uh, that they put out the, every oh, year. right, right. And now it seems like part of the promotional piece is... He has an interview on KBHD. This has now happened twice. Two times is a pattern, right? Right, yeah. And in that video, he references that, oh, like I got an email talking about coronavirus. I'm looking at that now. And mm -hmm. on MKBHD's podcast, he was saying that like there was like a maybe a week's difference between when they recorded and when they published it. 
And by the time that they published the video, the Gates Foundation had already announced like all this money and time and resources that they're putting into coronavirus. And they were remarking like how fast he went from just finding out about it to investing lots of money into yeah. trying to help it. I have uh, I have a number of thoughts about the documentarian and I do have like real annoyances with the series, but okay. you honed in on two moments that I, I really love. And this moment about inspiration is really great because to me it's it's a it's a summary of there is this very difficult thing in charity where people sort of respond to how emotive people are when describing the things that they're trying to fix like the people respond to like outward expressions of sadness and suffering and that is not gates and that's also very often not the way to fix problems mm -hmm. like you have to be able to coldly separate yourself from the individuals in order to be the one who is actually able to solve problems on a large scale and I just always find it interesting how in conversations with people this sort of way of thinking many people really respond negatively to of, oh, I'm, tr I'm trying to solve this problem with polio, or I'm trying to solve this problem with poverty. And in order to make any progress on that, I have to not get swept up in any of the individual cases. And people are often like, oh, what a monster. Like, you don't care about those things. And it's like, no, this is how you do stuff. And the exact quote is that the interviewer, he's giving this description and there's two things. And Gates is like, well, these stories of suffering for individuals, that is the emotional connection, which is the retail of charity business, right? But if you want to fix the problem, you have to think wholesale, right? You have to think in this totally different way. And it's like, that sort of sounds like an awful statement. And the interviewer says, like, that's not inspiring, Bill. And one of the greatest moments is like before he almost gets to the end of the L sound in Bill, Gates just goes, well, that's too bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, and, and he says, like, if you're not trying to inspire people, what are you doing? And, and Gates says, optimization. Mm. Right. And it's like, that is just, it's great. Like, yes, this is, this is how, if you want to solve these problems, you have to actually go about it. And he's, he's thinking of it like in like what you're saying about uh, the coronavirus which i wasn't fully aware of all those details part of it is trying to pick projects in a marginal way of like where do his dollars make a, an additional marginal increase in quality or decrease in suffering compared to like the charity world in general or how difficult the problem is yeah i personally find that like not inspiring but it fills me with hope of like great this is someone who is not getting distracted by the details and is focusing on like the hard things to focus about to actually try to fix these problems even if saying like oh we're in the wholesale business sounds so grim and so boring but that's the way you do it but i think this is evidence of an individual who is aware of what they are capable of Bill yeah. Gates is not an inspiring figure. Steve Jobs was an inspiring figure. You know, like yeah. he would get on the stage and he would talk and you would believe whatever he had to say, right? Yeah. And Bill Gates doesn't carry that kind of weight. Even Balmer was more 
inspiring in his own way, right? In his own Balmerie way. Yeah, yeah. He, but he could, you know, he could amp you up, and that's just not Gates's way. So he yeah. is aware of the fact that what he can do is give money and knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's what he can do. So that's what he does. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he chooses things. I think where his skills and his resources are best placed. And standing on stages and doing these things aren't, that's not really his thing. And there are many examples of him doing shocking things on stages that's different to inspiring. He doesn't inspire people. He quite frequently scares people, right? So there's like, everyone's familiar with uh, the TED talk he gave where he let mosquitoes out into the room and locked the doors, right? Because it was about malaria. Um, And then they show it in this one where he puts a jar of human feces on the on the stage next to him when he's yeah. talking about sanitation. The mosquitoes thing is great because it, it makes him seem like some kind of crazy evil person. Right? Which <laughs> like, I think he <laughs> leans into that a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, and it's it's quite clever where he's like, I'm going to do something terrible to you to prove a point. But that's attention getting, but not inspiring. Mm-mm. In the way that inspiring people have like the jobs reality distortion field. And it's like, that is a good tool for some things, but for very many of the kinds of problems that Gates is trying to attack, like, that's not helpful. If anything, it could be anti-helpful. So, yeah. Like, I I think my personal thoughts on him have changed so much. And that particular moment in in the film of him going, well, that's too bad. It was like, oh, Bill Gates, you're like my spirit animal in this mm-hmm. moment of of shooting down this dumb question about like, it's not inspiring. Like, yeah, I'm not interested in that. Like, I'm interested in fixing the problem. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of things in this documentary that made me think of you, which was why I wanted to talk about it anyway. <laughs> I want to talk about these book bag and think weeks. Yeah, Bill Gates needs a Kindle. I can understand why he doesn't have one, but boy... <laughs> I guess if I had someone to carry around my bag of books all day, then maybe I would be less resistant. But I got the impression he's carrying it a lot, though. Yeah, do you think so? I don't know. I guess it depends on the context. So, like, when he's taking that little plane and he's going out to his little shack, he's carrying the bag. But, yeah, probably a lot of the time someone's got it for him. But it's this tote bag, which is, again, just very interesting. It's Everything about this is interesting to me. It's like a white and blue tote bag, which is just full of books and papers right like uh intellectual papers and they show him like having it packed and stuff like that and i know it as well it's like i don't understand why he's reading actual books i can only imagine he just really needs the paper you know like i know that some people they prefer it right like it helps it sink in and Mm -hmm. it seems like he is such a voracious reader that maybe it just fits with him like maybe he just can't do it digitally and maybe he doesn't want to slow down. Yeah, I can honestly imagine. So so in, in the documentary, they make a big deal about Bill Gates reading. Yeah. Everyone around him just talks about how like how much he's able to read, how quickly he's able to read, and, and his retention level being very high. And I can imagine that at this scale, you know, so he has uh, like an acquaintance who says, oh, he went on vacation with gates for a week and you know and he, and he read 20 books i got it he read 14 books on vacation he reads at 150 pages an hour <laughs> right yeah and i can imagine that at that scale the having the physical books helps your brain distinguish and and like makes memories better of, mm. of what are, what you're actually reading 
Whereas if, if you're doing whatever it is, 150 pages an hour on a Kindle screen, like maybe it's just too much the same. Like just blends in together. And he maybe he can't. Because yeah. Melinda at one point references that she feels like his brain is like a series of compartments. Yeah. And so like maybe he is like compartmentalizing the knowledge a little bit with the book, right? And that he needs, like that maybe that's like kind of the way that his brain works. So he needs to be able to recall the book to recall the knowledge. This is also where some of my frustration with the documentary comes out okay. because so it's called inside bill gates brain mm-hmm. and a lot of this is like the biography of bill gates which is mm-hmm. totally fine right give give people the background of this person you know but the thing about reading right is is so so clearly core to what he does and part of his ability to interact with such a wide range of people on different topics and quickly assess situations and and everything else that I don't I don't really want to hear so many other people telling me about Gates reading a lot. I want to know much more what does he think about this? Mm. Like like our like our very speculation of oh maybe he wants the physical books because it it's easier to remember like I don't know, it's just a it's just a thought. But th- there's a lot of this where like I'm not I always, I always have this thing about you shouldn't expect that exceptional people are normal people, right? That the people at the top of any field are a bunch of weirdos for a variety of reasons. And that's yeah. why they're able to be like exceptional yeah. people in different Bill Gates areas. is not normal. We have to accept this. Yeah. He is better than us in things. Yeah. Right? He's, he's totally not a normal person. <laughs> it wasn't luck. It's actually interesting because I, I know my father and, and mother had watched this documentary. And they'd mentioned it to me ahead of time. And my dad had said something like, oh, I always thought Bill Gates was just like a a rich kid who got lucky, like right place, right time. Mm. And he said, oh, I watched this documentary and boy, did I realize he was not, you know, just lucky, you know, like this guy was going to do something and it just happened to be Microsoft. Right. But he would have done something else if if that didn't come along. But so because of that. Because, like, let's just accept that this exceptional person is different from other people. I I find it very tiresome to have people in his life describing what he's like. Like, I'm just not interested in in their assessments. It's like, I want to know, what does he think about reading? Mm. You know, like, how how is this for you? Or uh, how... Like, how do you go about picking which books you're going to read? Like, is that something that that you do at this volume of reading? Like, are you selecting? Are other people selecting? Or he he talks about, I'm sure the thing that you want to mention, but he talks about like his think weeks. And he, he mentions, oh, this is the time where he's he's just dedicated to just reading and thinking and how you want to have some ideas in in the back of your head that you're working through. And it's like, yes, but what do you mean by what you're working through like h- how is it that you're trying to approach these questions or how do you select these questions so my frustration is i feel like there was a lot of this kind of stuff where other people's descriptions of what bill gates is up to is not remotely what i'm interested in like i want to hear bill gates talk about stuff and it's particularly interesting that very frequently when they're playing the actual interviews with Bill Gates, he has so many of these little comments like the thing of like, well, that's too bad. Like, I'm doing optimization. 
that feel like, oh, he's shining through this documentary. But I, I just felt like a lot of this stuff wasn't really pursued. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, elaborate on that. So th- th- those are those are partly some of my frustrations. Yeah. I wanted more. Like, I want more from Gates. So did I. But I kind of wonder if maybe that stuff isn't interesting to everybody else. <sighs> yeah. I, I can get that, but then maybe don't call your documentary like Inside Bill's Brain. But it's a good name, though. It's a great name, mm. but I, I think that is not what they are selling in this documentary. I was expecting it to be a little more autobiographical than it actually is. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, the reason that he did this documentary is to promote the foundation. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It is a marketing piece for the foundation, which from his perspective... I'm on board with that. There is no problem with that. Yeah, yeah. But I still maybe would have liked to have seen a fourth episode that did more, right? <laughs> yeah. Why does he read what he reads? How much time does he read? Where does he read? Right? Does he read in that library or is the library just for storing books? Why does he keep the books? Why does he read on paper? Like all of this yeah. stuff, which I would love to know more about. But there was something I wanted to touch on, which is kind of, it's in my notes for this area, is the, they talked to Mike Slade, who's the, a former director at Microsoft. And he says that Bill always knows more than the other person he's talking to. Mm-hmm. And this comes across so frequently in the documentary, or at least if, if you don't see that, you see him knowing things that like, it's surprising that he knows. So he walked yeah. when he's he's there's a couple of instances, both with sanitation and with nuclear power. These are two of the things that, that foundations focused on. And one of the ways that Bill tries to push innovation is to basically create a competition. Mm-hmm. So he'll have universities and companies compete to create a solution to a problem, which he will then fund, right? Right. In both of these instances, he's going into like, and this is especially in the one where they're doing nuclear power, he's going into these rooms and he's talking to people and he is having incredibly in-depth technical conversations and asking all these questions that I Mm -hmm. can't even fathom to understand. And sometimes you see kind of like surprises the people he's talking to. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, this is stuff you shouldn't know. You didn't do this. Like you were not a nuclear physicist, right? You did not do this, Bill. Like this was not your thing. But he's learned it all by reading. And it is unbelievable. There's a little section I really like, which is, I, I don't have the name off hand, but they, they interview the guy who has written all of the books on energy. He's like the, the German or, or Austrian guy. Oh, yeah. I don't remember the guy's name either, but like there's this, the thing where he's like, this book has an audience of one and it's just me. Like, I'm- no, It's even more brutal. It, like, but this is, this, is, this is where like Gates, his interesting way of thinking shines through because it's another line I really like of his where he says, he doesn't say it has an audience of one. He says, the natural audience of this book may be less than one, right? (laughs) Which is is like kind of an amazing and brutal review, but also pitches it in a way of like, that's just what this book is, right? He's not saying like, oh, it's a bad book or like, there's none of that. He's just like, oh, Vladislav went too far on this one and, you know, just went too far and, and went completely into it. And I love when they talk to this guy who his whole professional life is thinking and writing about energy. 
-hmm. and the like human civilization's use of energy. And he's written, you know, whatever it is, 20 books. He's a huge number of books. And they ask him, you know, has anybody read all of your books? And it's like, maybe just Gates. You know, that's that's like the only person who's even come close to doing this. But what comes across for me, even though the documentary doesn't specifically say it, is his ability to read has allowed him to essentially absorb the entire professional career of another expert. He knows nearly as much about energy as like the world's expert knows about energy because he's just consumed everything that he's read. And that is the thing that allows him to move between different environments and talk to people because I don't think he's just done it with that one guy. They're just using that guy as an example of like, yeah, Gates can do this. Like read your book, absorb your stuff keep it in his head for future reference and be able to pull it out in a conversation when it's necessary. And it's an incredible skill. It's an incredible skill. I liked, I know you, you, maybe we'll get into it a little more about, like you said, you didn't like the documentarian. Is that a word, by the way? Am I using, have I made up a word or is is that? No, no, that's correct. That's a word. But there was a few things that I enjoyed, especially towards the beginning of the episode is like the way he would ask Bill questions. I think that he worked out that Bill will answer things immediately and he knows things that people shouldn't know so like there's one scene which Mm -hmm. i loved about this when they're playing tennis Mm -hmm. they're playing tennis and he'll ask him what's the longest you've played tennis and bill immediately says eight hours he Mm -hmm. goes what's the highest temperature it's like 106 degrees he has worked out i think that bill remembers things that people don't typically remember and he'll ask him questions Mm -hmm. like that and it's fascinating to see this complete deadpan responses he is effectively returning the answer that you've asked the computer. Like it's just immediately like available to you this information. And I actually did really like that. And even questions like, you know, what's your worst fear? And Bill says, I don't mm-hmm. want my brain to stop working. And I immediately thought of you because that feels to me like something you would say. Well, if, if you listen to Gates talk, he, he does the, like I picked up on it as well. He many times references his brain as a separate, entity in that way Mm. right like he he doesn't phrase it as i don't want to get dementia right it's like i don't want my brain to stop working and there's a few other times in the film where i noticed that i mean i'm I'm always a big believer and i I think that's a useful way to self-conceptualize i think that that helps you think more clearly about yourself in relation to other things and yeah like of course that's going to be his big fear like like how much of his life is defined by his brain it makes me think of john von neumann who's sort of considered to probably be one of the smartest people who's ever lived like that was his horror at the end of his life is he could feel like he was losing losing grip in his final days on the like the sharpness of his mind and i imagine for someone whose life is just so intellectual no one wants to get dementia, but it has to be more horrible if you know you are a much sharper knife than the average knife in the drawer. In the same way that I imagine if you are a great athlete, losing your physicality must be harder than it is for someone who like never experienced the peak of what their body can do. Hey, here's something I just found. I just figured to Google it. Yep. And it's true. Gates has made heavy investments into Alzheimer's. okay interesting because i that was what i thought was like it it just dawned on me like if 
surely he's doing that. Surely he's putting mm. money into that because it's something he is concerned of for himself. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. As in, like, if he doesn't want his brain to stop working, surely he would be funding research into making sure that that wouldn't happen. Right? That, like, yeah. that maybe by the time that these things would happen to him, there may be cures that he's helped fund. Mm. I have no problem with that, right? Like, it was just, like, a thing that I thought was, like, surely he's put money into that. And it turns out he has millions, tens of millions. That's not surprising. But it also is, like, it's not a bad place to put money, again, if you're trying to assess human suffering. Oh, because it's a horrific thing yeah. that human beings have to go through. It's horrific, and it's also... You know, if you if you just do the quick calculation of, well, if healthcare keeps improving, the number and duration of the population that has to spend time with Alzheimer's will only go up. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this is not a problem that goes down as healthcare improves. This is a problem that goes up. And as far as I'm aware from like I, I looked into this a while ago or it came across my path a while ago, it's actually not a very well researched thing. Hmm. Like in, in the history of medicine. Like there hasn't been a lot in a, of Alzheimer's research. Like there was not a lot of funding mm. for it. So like it, it's not surprising to me that he would, because you say you you could maybe make a significant change without without a lot of money. Yeah, you know, like if yeah. it's not been funded or researched very well, like you might be able to make some surprising jumps on that. Your thing about the questions, like I don't love the interviewer's method of questions, mm. and I do think like right at the beginning. So he he asked Bill Gates a couple of questions. He's like, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? And I'm pretty convinced that's the first time the interviewer sat down with Gates. Yeah, probably. There's just like a couple of interviews. And that feels like they're always cutting back to that one because it's the higher level, like, hey, getting to know each other kind of interview. I'm convinced, like I did go back and watch it, that those first two questions where he asks something like, what's your favorite color? And then he goes, what's your favorite animal? And I, I like I'm looking into Gates's eyes there, and I think he in this moment is debating for a couple of seconds about whether or not to just abort this whole project. But that's what I like about those questions. Like, and, and I don't think that the guy is doing it accidentally. Now the interviewer saves it, so he says, "Like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite animal?" And Bill Gates kind of answers both of them dismissively, and then he says, "What's your favorite animal that you eat?" And then you can see Gates was like, oh, okay, okay. That reminded me of Blade Runner. Oh, I could see that. A yeah. list of questions that got weird in a way that, that that you wouldn't ask someone. Where it's like, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite animal? What's your favorite animal to eat? Like that sequence of questioning is very strange and I think purposeful as like a way to maybe try and unseat him a little bit. Like kind of lure him in and then just like throw him off because that that is if somebody asked me that question I'd be like what are you talking about no one's ever asked me that like what's so weird so I actually kind of liked it I, I I thought the progression was interesting because you can see on Bill's face where he's like who is this moron yeah yeah but that's why I'm convinced in those first two seconds he's al- he's already booting up the like do I abort this whole project part of his brain and. I think when he talks about some of the Monopoly stuff later, I love the way he answers the question. But it's the same thing where he, he's like, they talk about him being arrogant. And he's like, yeah, when you when you have to make decisions for thousands of people and you don't have minutes to spare, like, yeah, you can seem quite arrogant. And I just sort of like see this little bit of maybe younger Bill Gates 
being like, oh, God, what is this going to be? He seeps out a little bit there. And, and that, that part is quite cleverly done because they're overlapping that conversation with some of the deposition videos of when Gates was on trial with the Department of Justice over yeah. Monopoly stuff, right, for Netscape and Internet Explorer. Yeah. This was back in the 90s, I think. And like you say, right, he was like, oh, do you think you were arrogant? And he's like, well, if you're in your 20s and you've got billions of dollars, you're responsible for thousands of people and you're growing a company and every five minutes means something, you probably would come across a little arrogant. Yeah. When I hear that, I'm like, mm, okay. Like, I agree with it. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? I agree with what he's saying, but you can feel that, and Melinda touches on it as well, that the antitrust lawsuits really affected him in a big way and he clearly doesn't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. Right, like ultimately, I think he just doesn't want to confront that again. You know, he basically the interview asks him, "Is like, did you have a monopoly?" And then Gates, he kind of tries to make the argument that they could have been toppled by another company, right? So he feels it isn't monopolistic in that sense. But then immediately mm. says, "I know that sounds weaselly. Like I'm trying to get out of this by like explaining it away." Yeah, but but see, like again, I'm kind of I'm kind of with Gates here. Like, I am not saying that I disagree with the way it all shook out. Like I am a person of the internet. Yeah. I have watched come and go many companies, right? Who like seemed dominant and then are just knocked mm-hmm. off. I think we're at a point where maybe some companies will never be knocked off now. Like it, we've got to a different point in internet's history. Yeah, that may be true. But it was for a time like, yeah, I mean, Internet Explorer had 98% market share, but that wasn't going to last because Microsoft didn't last that way. It, my point is just like, if you are having to say, I am aware that sounds weaselly, you know that you're not making an argument which is definitive. I'm like I don't know. I'm not sure I agree with that, but I I, th- I think there's I just think there's also something interesting here, which is uh, I never even realized. I didn't realize that the higher court overturned the verdict against Microsoft. Oh really? I was totally shocked by this piece of information because I had I had always thought like oh yeah they got hit with this antitrust lawsuit and and they they lost. The whole like retrial completely bypassed me in in the dustbin of history. Like it well, just didn't, you know what I think didn't cross my mind. I think you may be confusing it with the European Union. Maybe that's what it is. The yeah. European Union did find Microsoft. Right, right. Okay, yeah, maybe, maybe And it was over it was. the very same thing. Right. Okay, yeah, maybe that's why maybe that's why it's kind of muddled up in in my head. Yeah. And I believe off the top of my head, I'll put some links in the show notes if people want to confirm mm-hmm. this for themselves, but off the top of my head like that was not overturned and they paid like half a billion dollars or something like that. Like Yeah, yeah, th- yeah, that sounds that sounds right to the European Union. Yeah, that um, so it may have just been like if you if you weren't paying attention, you would just assume that like they were guilty everywhere. Yeah. So the thing about him with the monopoly is that there's there's two really interesting that my my second most like interesting moment in the documentary is in this little part two. But yeah. So the so the interview asks him like, did you have a monopoly? And his exact quote is, if by monopoly you mean a high market share, then yes. But if you mean an unchallengeable market position, then no. And that's where he's like, you know, if it's uh, if that sounds like I'm being weaselly, you know, and but I just I just think there's a part here where like stuff like this is just not simple. Like that question is just not a simple question. And mm. like I'm I'm with Gates on this of like he's in this horrible position that if people ask him, did you have a monopoly? 
what people sort of mean is, did you have really high market share, right? But that's you know that isn't what a monopoly is. But right. But the, so my the, question on that though is, mm. did Bill Gates in 1997 or whatever really believe that he could be challenged? Yeah, that, I mean that's a, that's a different that's a totally different question, which I don't know the I don't know the answer to because I think that does change it though, right? Like if he mm. believed at that time that no one could beat Microsoft and Internet Explorer, right? That perception changes the outcome, right? And I know that's like how could, you can't. There's no facts in that, right? So like mm-hmm. it's difficult to put that on trial. But like I'm just making the point of like I think that does make it slightly different because I would believe that he probably thought no one could beat him then. Like you just you see the kind of guy he was then, mm. especially. And I genuinely believe that he was in the idea of like we've we've won this. Yeah, that's 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 very possible. Like that that's very possible. And if that's the case, it's like, well then what was it, right? So like now we can argue on technicalities, but if the guy running the company thinks that he's won, then they uh, anyway, it's too complicated. it's incredibly complicated. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. I think it's an interesting thing to think about at least. Yeah, it, it is it is interesting and, and it, it goes it goes back to like it's just you can so see in the clips that like young Bill Gates is this really <laughs> abrasive guy. So good and, those clips. Yeah, and like old Bill Gates is is like a friendly grandpa, mm-hmm. and it's 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 such a but you can see you can still see the same person. Well, see that's interesting though, right? Because like so they show those so show the clips of him being deposed, and he is, and I understand it. Like he is being asked the most idiotic questions, right, yeah. by people that do not understand. We've all seen the clips of like Zuckerberg in court in America, and they're asking him like how do I change the ringtone on my iPhone or crap like that, right? And like, that's clearly yeah, what's happening. Yeah, and it's like, I, I've got no sympathy. You know, Zuckerberg, I, I would say, is, is not a person I have any warmness in my heart for. But even still, it's like, oh God, can you can you imagine being as smart as Zuckerberg and having to on camera, like listen for hours to these totally idiotic questions for Unrelated. people who know nothing. Like, he's right. there to like, talk about something completely different. And, like, yeah. these people are bringing their tech support questions to him. It's so like, I'm yeah. sure it was exactly the same kind of conversation in those depositions, right? So, like, you can see how he gets yeah, that yeah. way. And Gates had to sit there all day, right? So, you like, I can guarantee you those clips are from hour seven mm-hmm. of day two of But then there are also the questions. clips of him in office meetings at Microsoft, where mm-hmm. he is just, like, losing it, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and there's, like, someone says that he used to say, like, that is the most idiotic thing I've heard all day when he said it, like, 10 minutes earlier about something <laughs> yeah. else. But yeah. the thing is, like, they're all, he's also asked questions of, like, has he mellowed? Mm-hmm. And people are like, no, he hasn't. And I wonder if maybe he can just control himself better now. But ultimately, he's still the same kind of guy. Well, so it's it's only one person who answers the question of, so so Gates himself says that he's mellowed, and it, it's I, I forget it's just like the venture capital dude is the only one who says no. But he's he his answer is like no. If anything, he's amped up what he's trying to. Do which is is like a a slightly yeah Mm -hmm. like I I think that question was a slightly different 
sort of thing. But I, I don't doubt that, uh, like if Bill Gates wants to, he, he can, he can turn he can on, lose it. yeah, yeah, the like arrogance of a, of a younger man. But before we leave the monopoly thing, the one, the one thing which is my perhaps most favorite moment in the whole documentary is when the interviewer asks him something like, "Oh, what would you tell your younger self about that whole time?" And mm. Gates's whole manner changes; like he he gets colder, yep. and he says to his younger self. You have an overly simplistic view of what's going on here. I loved that so yeah. much. Well, so so the interviewer goes like, what do you mean defensive? And he says, you're naive. Yeah. You're naive. And this is, this is also partly where like I'm sort of frustrated with the interviewer because boy, do I want Bill Gates to expand on that point. Even, well, even though I think... You know he's not gonna though, Gray. Like if you asked him, he's not gonna say any more than that. Right, but like even, even just the clip of him saying like he's not going to talk say any more than that right mm, okay but like i think anybody who's thinking this through can pick up what bill gates is putting down in this moment yeah kind of like hey kid you think this is actually about is microsoft a monopoly and like you're trying to fight this game on is microsoft a monopoly and this is not remotely the reason why you're stuck in this situation. Yep. Like that's there are not other what's going on at here. Play here yeah. And you can't control them. Yeah. It's is and it's it's like it's the same thing with Zuckerberg of like, why was Zuckerberg hauled over to Washington, DC? Like, mm-hmm. is it for the is it for the reasons they really said, or is it for other reasons? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I think we all know it's also for other reasons. But that is my favorite moment, and part of it is just his demeanor change and like i'm making a real statement here for people who who want to hear what i'm really trying to say like you have an overly simplistic view of what's going on here i thought that was great let's talk about the think weeks okay so bill started these when he was at microsoft in the 90s and he has a little cabin that he goes out to which looks very remote it looks like seaplane only to get there kind of thing and it's referenced in the documentary that this is like a time that he'll take to distill his thoughts. He just reads and he thinks. Someone mm-hmm. refers to it as like CPU time. It's just like when his mm-hmm. brain is processing things. And I also noted that he loves Diet Coke. He drinks a lot of Diet Coke. There's like a whole fridge <laughs> of Diet Coke. Yeah. As soon as you tune into it, he's actually drinking Diet Coke through a huge portion of yeah, the documentary. Just like constantly <laughs> drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> so it's like, hey, man, I think you might have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so we're going to talk about Warren Buffett later on, because we have yeah. to, because that, that's yeah. a lot yeah. of interesting things in there. But Warren Buffett is also a big Coke guy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I saw the same thing. It's like, what's going on? Well, he's, I think it's Cherry Coke for, for oh, was, Warren was Buffett. Oh, was it a different one? Okay. He drinks like five cans of Cherry Coke a day. And this mm. came up on an episode of Connected a long time ago, because I don't know if you saw this, but like Apple made some game called Warren Buffett Paper Wizard. No, I know. Super I weird. Like Buffett owns like a massive portion of Apple. He owns like five percent of Apple or something. Right. And at this investor meeting the day, like Tim Cook came out and they made this game and it was this big fun thing. And it was it was on the App Store, but only for like two weeks and they took it down. So weird. Like Apple made the game and it's like you're going around and throwing newspapers at like Apple HQ. Oh, 
Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. This sounds familiar. Yeah. Because so Buffett strange. had like a paper route as a kid or something. Yeah. yeah. That's how he started his fortune, right? That's like the story, his story. Like Paperboy in Omaha worked around, worked it up and up and up. And now he's like one of the richest men ever, that kind of thing. But anyway, mm-hmm. he uh, he was at the face of Cherry Coke in China. Really? Yeah. Warren <laughs> Buffett is dumb. like freaking fascinating like the more you look into that guy the the stranger it gets like in in many ways but yeah so right. there's a connection there with coke but but the think weeks like they obviously they jumped out to me because it is very similar to the Gracation, right mm-hmm. and i just wanted to know what you thought about it the very first thing i wanted to know was is that his real cabin is that really the place that he goes like I, I just I could I can't decide if it is. I think it is. I feel like it is. Why wouldn't it be? I don't know. Just like how much does he want to show on camera? If someone was doing a documentary on me, I can guarantee to you that I would not be showing them where I actually go for vacations, right? And well, so I was yeah. just wondering, like, oh, if Gates goes to the same place all the time, does he want people to see the inside? I think it is his place. But it it just kind of struck me as yeah. I wonder. I don't think Bill Gates's residence is a very secret. Yeah, I know, but still, like, how much do you want to show or not show? So mm. anyway, the way it looked struck me as sort of exactly what I would expect. Of it's a small place. It's focused. It seems to contain nothing but books and a bed and a, and a refrigerator full of Thai Coke. <laughs> and that's what you would want if you're doing this, is narrow and focused. See, I buy it because if it was more lavish, I would have maybe raised an eyebrow. But like the realisticness of it just being a bed, a table, a fridge, and a bookcase is like, yeah. I can imagine that being all he would have. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I said, it, it focuses you. Mm-hmm. You have less to do. You're just going to sit here and you're just going to read. This is also where I, I just, I really just wanted to kind of know more. But it, it's interesting why he calls them think weeks. I think is because he he says it's very fast, but he says that he goes there with a list of particular questions that he has in the back of his mind. Yeah, and so uh, he has this example like, oh. When will low interest rates end? Like that's that's a question that he has. On the his way mind. he kind of phrased it, which I also found interesting, was kind of like you know you have. It's like he's kind of like talking. You know you have those questions. They pop up in your brain, and mm-hmm. they're just things you th- that they occur to you. I go there to actually think about those things. Yeah. So like yeah. as you say, like about int- what about interest? Why are interest rates the rate that they are? When are they going to change? Like people think of these things, but let them go. Yeah. But it seems like he like is like, no, I want to know. And like he will maybe record them, find resources, go there and answer those questions, which yeah. is obviously a very different type of living or thinking than most people. Yeah, because I was, I was just connecting it to there's an earlier part in the documentary where he says you have to pick a finite number of things for your mind to work on, mm. which which again, he's like distancing himself from his own brain, mm-hmm. like. Not, you're not picking a finite number of things for you to think about. It's for your mind to work on. And just trying to connect the dots a little bit, I th- I get the impression that that's sort of related to the think week. That he's, it really sounds like he's going there with like a piece of paper with 10 questions on it or something. And he's dedicating this time to actually trying to get answers about these particular things. Like he's, he is not going in an undirected way. 
he's going in a purposeful way, mm-hmm. which uh, like I had I had heard about the think weeks in in you know some general way of like oh this is a thing that Bill Gates does but it, it was interesting to me to see that it's not what I had vaguely thought about of oh it must just be unstructured like he's he's yeah. spending a week catching up on the reading that he couldn't do during the rest of the year and it's not it's, like what you do yeah. right which is yeah, like yeah. focused work time he's not yeah. it's not that like he's just reading with no yeah. no distractions in many ways it's the total opposite of work time that he's it sounds like oh he's he's using this as a time to separate and possibly adjust course based on the answers that he gets to various questions and like you know you were saying like this is something i would want to dig more into like how often yes. does he do them how how accessible is he during these times like is he doing literally anything else? How does he prepare for them? How does everyone yeah. around him prepare for him being gone? Yeah, yeah, that's all the stuff that, yeah, I'd want to know all those things. And I would really just want to know even just a little bit about what are you doing to try to answer these questions? Like, you must be thinking about this in a more structured way than, oh, I just grabbed a bunch of books, right? Like, you're you're doing something else what are you doing or how how do you think about these questions or how many questions do you have how do you select them like you know th- th- like i think there's just so much more there do you expect to actually answer them yeah yeah but again these are not things that most people are going to care about like if you're making this documentary for netflix really it's like if they're making a documentary for us it's very different. I would like to get inside of Bill Gates' brain, though. Can, you see? can like, we? Can somebody <laughs> out there get us to interview Bill, and we can really dig into this stuff? If someone could just pass this along to him, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. But so, so again, like there's, there's these moments where Gates kind of shines through, and I love them. And those are the parts that were were like knowing about what his organization was up to was was fascinating. Like knowing more of these details was really interesting. But Gates shining through is amazing and the other thing that i wanted so bad after this documentary i want a netflix series that's just called like the warren and bill show and i want to see like yes like warren buffett and bill gates just hanging out and talking about whatever it's the best i love it so much playing bridge at the local omaha bridge club just as a couple of normal Joes, it's amazing. <laughs> They're getting hamburgers with more salt than any human being should oh ever my God, consume. It's so disgusting. But I love I that they're joking so... about it too, though. I was physically appalled mm-hmm. by the amount of salt that Warren Buffett on put a on plain his burger. Burger. There's <laughs> nothing else on it. Also, the detail that really got me is he put it. On the bottom of the bun, like on the bottom of the burger patty. So he didn't take off the top and salt the top of the burger. He flipped the burger upside down, salted the underside of the patty, put the bottom of the burger back on, flipped it over, and then looked like the happiest man on earth as he bit into the burger. I love that he said something like, it was just great to to have made my decisions by the time I was 11 about what I like to eat or something, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I can't help but feel, right, like there are things about when they're talking about their relationship that reminds of me and you a little bit. How so? Because they talk about the first time they met Right, so the the first time that Gates and Buffett met, 
mm-hmm. Bill's mum recommended that it happen. And Bill was like, I don't have the time for this, but he's important. I'll fly in and fly out. Like, I'll give right. him a short period of time. But their first meeting, they were just together for hours because they right. just were talking and they found each other's brains so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me of how we are when we get together or like even yeah. on our first meeting where like we spent just, we'd never met before, we'd never spoken, but we just spent hours just talking. Yeah, that's right. We did spend a long time together at that yeah. very first one, which I, th- I think was probably scheduled for me for like, I'll spend an hour. And I think we spent the whole day together. Yeah. Like you were the, kind of the bill in that, right? Where it was like, <laughs> you know, I don't know what Warren Buffett was feeling, but kind of just like, eh, you know, I'll see, I'll see what it's like. Mm-hmm. Just the way that they describe some of the stuff in their relationship is just like that they understand each other. And mm-hmm. they become friends because they understand how each other's brains work. And there aren't a lot of other people that they've necessarily met in their lives where their brains work similarly enough right. that they can challenge each other and find it interesting. And it just yeah. reminded me of how we are a little mm-hmm. bit, which I just thought was, obviously, I thought that was nice. You yeah. returned null on that one, probably, but that's fine. I was, I was, I was, well, I'm not going to play bridge with you if that's what you're. I don't know how to play bridge. (laughs) But this is interesting because of the way that they are friends and they were also referred to as partners because Buffett pledged half of his wealth to the Gates Foundation, right? Yeah. And and it's interesting to hear how he talks about, like, Bill says it's it's worse for him, really, to feel like he's losing Warren's money than his own. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. That's, That's brutal. And I totally... Like I feel Gates yeah. so much on that. Like yeah. there, there is a way in which, and, and I think you can see it on his face in a, in a couple little moments where it's just like, it's a real responsibility to spend another billionaire's fortune. Mm-hmm. That's almost an inconceivable amount of. I don't. I don't want to say burden, but like it's almost an inconceivable amount of exchange between two people, of of like the wealth that Warren Buffett has built up over a lifetime passed on in, into the hands of Gates to manage. Like I, I, I don't think I could psychologically deal with that of like, Oh God, it's okay if I lose my own billions, but if I lose Warren Buffett's billions, that's terrible. It's a terrible situation to be in. <laughs> Cause it's like, it's difficult. They're friends. Yeah. Or even just like Buffett wants to, wants an update on like, what's the situation with polio? How's, how's that going? Like, what do we think the odds are on actually being able to, to get it down to zero? It's come back. <laughs> right? you know? Yeah. That, that's a very different conversation. If the two of you are just hanging out and talking as billionaire buddies, and bridge partners versus oh also you're spending all of my money on this polio problem too mm-hmm. of like oh god but i i could watch the two of them interact all day long it's just oh. something about it that was charming but weird they're like they're in the recliner cha- why are they in the, that store why are they sitting on recliner chairs like who made that happen why is that happening yeah There's, they're doing this like thing in a kitchen like it's just really strange <laughs> yeah it's it's really strange and and e- even just my wife laughed out loud because she was like what are these two they're just sitting in a diner like this is what they do bill gates yeah. flies to omaha and they just go to like some random diner sitting in the booth and it's just it's like okay what's what's the total net value represented by the two seats in this booth in a in a diner in but, omaha it's it's something intrinsically absurd about it i mean i can't imagine they are actually doing that because like berkshire hathaway owns that town right 
Yeah. They must have restaurants at the office. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know a lot about Warren Buffett, but I like if they're just going to that regular bridge club, I can totally believe that the man who wants to pour half a container of salt on his burger also just has some diner that he's been going to for 50 years where he likes the burger. I guess. Like, I, I find it very believable that that's really what's what they're doing, you know? And Gates is like, yeah, we have to go to this diner because it's the only one that Warren will eat at. Like, I could, I can, that is <laughs> trivially easy for me to believe. <laughs> but yeah, did you hear me, Netflix? This is what I want. Yeah, I want please. the show with the two of them. I don't, I don't care what they're doing. I just anything. want it. I want, yeah, anything. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Hover, one of Cortex's longest running sponsors. When you have that one great idea, where's the first place to go? For a ton of entrepreneurs, including me, Hover is that first big step because your great business, your great idea, your great project, it starts with and needs a wonderful domain name and Hover will have it. They have over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. No matter what you want to build, there is a domain name waiting there for you. They have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have and they're dedicated to getting you online and not upselling you. One of my favorite things about Hover is how easy it is to connect my domain to other services. They make it really super simple with just a few buttons in most instances that I have to click and they give me really detailed instructions if I need to enter or change any records. I've always found this sort of stuff super daunting and confusing, but Hover make it so easy to do. They also have free who is privacy so bad guys don't get your information. They have a clean user experience. They don't bog everything down and make the options super hard to uncover and they have monthly sales on popular top level domains. It's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people starting businesses. We know that you love great user experiences because you're a listener to this show. I think that's kind of inbuilt in all of us. You want things that work straight out of the box and I know that you're going to appreciate Hover. It's super simple, clean, easy to navigate and use. Buy your own domain today and start using it right now by going to hover.com slash cortex and get a 10% discount on all new purchases. I'm sure that right now you may have that idea that, and you have a little bit more time maybe in your life that you want to execute it. Go to hover.com slash cortex, register your domain name, and get 10% on all new purchases. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show. Make a name for yourself with Hover. So going from the micro, which is Warren Buffett and Bill Gates sitting in a cafe eating burgers is hilarious, right? To, to zoom all the way out to the macro, again, one of the things I liked about this documentary is the way it, it sort of focused on the way Gates thinks about problems and how to solve them. And, and this is the stuff that we were talking before about like, what is underfunded? Like, where can you be effective? And the, the toilets thing, I think is just a, like a great example of this. I get the impression that this is largely what started the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was was around thinking about the problem of sanitation in the third world and, yeah. and how to solve it. But it's just, I think it's kind of fascinating to hear Gates talk a little bit about it where, he, where he's like, oh, the toilets are this totally underfunded problem and they're a thing that nobody thinks about. And it's like, yeah, that's that's perfectly correct. Like nobody thinks about it. And what I didn't realize and what I found interesting is like that there's there's no market segmentation in the world of toilets where we only have two options. 
which is you live in a modern country that has billions of dollars worth of plumbing and these these multi-million dollar waste treatment facilities and and you have like an incredibly complex system that keeps the water clean and nobody ever thinks about it and and then then as they said like the moment you go down from there you're left at a pit in the ground and it's like there's very little that you can do in between those two extremes and like i just i just thought it was a it was a really fascinating way to kind of think of this this problem of can you try to fund something that can exist in between these two areas because there's that guy uh, who works for the aerospace company who says that there are places in the world where they have sanitation plants but don't have the money to run them. Yeah, yeah. They have the plants, they don't have the money to run them. Or the the thing that I never never thought about is, is, is like, oh, if you have a slum, one of the best things you could do for that slum is cleaning up the sanitation. But you can't, you just physically can't put pipes under the ground to all of the dwellings in this area like it would that it would just cost more money than the country even has it's just a good example of trying to build up something else to say like okay what what can exist what are our options here and talking about the way they they think through the problems of, of like okay we got to power the toilet system somehow like maybe we can use the waste to power the toilet system itself or you know oh maybe we should just try to have some kind of composting system or or like what can we do what can we do and then on the other side the part where you can see gates being frustrated and it it comes up later with uh, some of the nuclear power stuff of okay that's great we have a toilet that's theoretically self-sufficient but it cost fifty thousand dollars to make one of them, and we like we need to find suppliers who can mass produce this and and bring down the price. It's like just such a horribly, horribly complex problem, and also a problem with such tremendous upside because the number they give in the documentary is like there's four billion people on Earth without access to modern toilets. It's like, man, even if this has been a 10-year project that has been really hard to try to solve, it's like the upside is tremendous if you can solve this. And I wouldn't be surprised if still to this day, like the Gates Foundation is one of the very few people trying to work on this problem of how do we construct and build and roll out cheap toilet and sanitation mm-hmm. systems in the world and it, it's 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 a great example of like the marginal dollar of like where can bill gates direct his resources to try to make a maximal impact for something that hopefully you can find as a somewhat cheap solution you know again this is where i, I wish the documentary had gone in a little bit more detail because i like i don't quite understand what is the current state of this project but it definitely seems to me like a great area to to put all the resources in. And it was just similar also thinking of polio as, as a little bit of a, of a reverse case where it's not that people aren't focused on trying to get rid of polio. But I loved one quote in particular where Gates says, the thing about polio is that getting to zero cases is magic. Because once you get down to zero cases, it saves you all of the future costs forever. 
And I think that's a, that's another example of thinking about a problem in the world in a sort of unsympathetic, uncharitable cost way. Mm-hmm. But it's it's again like an excellent point of like why is polio a thing that you really want to try to attack? And it's because unlike some other problems, if we can just solve it all the way once, it's a problem that you can just take off the board for humanity of like we never have to think about this again. Goodbye, polio. And we don't have to forever invest resources into maintaining this situation because it's just done and it's just resolved. And it's also very, very frustrating watching as as a viewer to realize like, oh my God, like we've gotten it so close, but there's just like three areas in the world where you can't get it down to zero and it's, it's just logistically difficult or there are just things that happen that there's no way he can work against like terrorism war yeah yeah but yeah but that's that's what i mean is like oh you 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 have like these terrorist controlled regions in the world and like those are the last holdouts for polio Mm -hmm. and you just can't do anything but it's like it feels tantalizingly close of like if we can just get it to zero what a tremendous tremendous benefit for all of humanity what I like about them, like with Bill and Melinda in this case, is they 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 don't give up. Like they, in fact, mm-hmm. after all this, they invest more money. So we yeah. put more into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a great uh, another great line that I really like is where where Gates talks about the people he's working with coming to him and asking for more money, and they ask for like a hundred million dollars more. And he's like, I think you asked the maximum that you think you can ask for, not the actual amount it's going to take to yep. solve this. As like you need four hundred million dollars. <laughs> Which is quite a difference. Yeah, which is quite a difference. But it's also, again, like being clever and trying to read the human situation yep. of, you know, this this is someone coming to me with, with a, a number that already seems astronomical. And to fund something not to the level where you actually solve the problem is worse than spending four times as much money on it and hopefully actually accomplishing your goal. The last episode is focused on nuclear energy. It's just a thing that I wasn't really aware that Gates was working on until I saw this documentary. Like yeah, I never heard of it. Yeah, he's, he created a startup called Terra Power, and they're effectively working on creating a new type of nuclear energy plant, which obviously comes with a lot of baggage, and they address that. Like They show mm-hmm. the uh, Fukushima reactor leak was like a big part of it in 2011, where there was like a massive earthquake and a tsunami and the reactor exploded and it was, you know, terrifying. But they were talking about there being a lot of bad choices in the way that these reactors were made. And mm-hmm. they ended up creating something which on paper sounds amazing. It's a reactor that has been designed to be fueled by depleted uranium, which is the waste that we've already created with Mm -hmm. other nuclear energy stuff, right? So they were saying about, like, there is a waste plant in Kentucky that has enough discarded uranium to power the entire U.S. for 125 years on their Mm -hmm. reactor system. And they talk about it being clean, efficient, and safe. So I kind of wanted to get your views on it, but I need to talk about something real quick. I just have to (laughs) say it because I can't not. Okay. There's a guy in this called Nathan Mirvold, and he was the CTO of Microsoft and is very involved in TerraPower. I don't want to talk about this guy because... Is he the guy who wrote the book on bread or is he the venture capitalist? The guy who wrote the book on bread. Okay. Because years ago, Mirvold 
was connected to and part I believe part owned a patent trolling company called Lodsys. Oh, Lodsys. That there's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Which tried to sue a collection of iOS developers including friends, very close friends of mine who spent a lot of time, money and stress dealing with this. Eventually Apple stepped in and mm smashed it into the ground with a massive apple-sized hammer and like it went away but it's just something that i struggle with <laughs> because i know what th- this guy is partly responsible for and right. that affects me and i can't like him so you don't want to read his book on bread don't want to read his book on bread uh okay seems like a clever guy but also <laughs> a not good person right okay well we we don't we don't need to discuss we don't need to discuss him then. No. Like, I won't, I won't also work with a guy him. called Lowell Wood who was involved in the creation of the hydrogen bomb. Uh, so like it's a real ragtag band uh, <laughs> part of this company. They did they did have like there was one part that sort of made me laugh unintentionally where they what's what's the other guy's name? It's Lowell Lowell Wood. Where they introduce Lowell Wood and they they make this they have just have this sentence about how like oh he's this like renegade person in the nuclear power industry and lots of people don't like him for a whole bunch of reasons and then they cut to him and he he just looks kind of like a bond villain and he looks like an absolutely evil person (laughs) he looks like a cross between like a bond villain and like a villain in indiana jones or something like yeah maybe i have never seen someone look more evil than this guy he should have a mustache that he twiddles yeah. That's the only thing he's missing. Yeah, like I don't I don't mean to comment on his appearance, but it's just it's so striking and particularly the way just that it's cut. I do feel a little bit like yeah, I don't know about this guy at the table. <laughs> like maybe maybe not. I don't know. I'm just I'm going 100% based on looks here. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, I guess it is it is this ragtag group over there. Yeah, ra- ragtag is definitely not the way to describe them but i couldn't think of any other phrase <laughs> i don't know it sort of fits it sort of fits uh yeah because you got like a bond villain on one side and nathan whose history i didn't know but who, who comes across as like a real happy nerd who also doesn't get along with the bond villain at all it just it just feels like i don't know about this guys uh he seemed i mean again i'm whatever opposite of rose tinted glasses is how i'm looking at this guy but he looks like the worst kind of nerd to me <laughs> well i didn't say if he's a good kind of nerd or a bad kind of nerd but he comes across as a happy nerd either way right like mm, that's okay. that's 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 all I'm, that's all i'm saying there mike <laughs> But I wanted to, because I'm just intrigued. Yeah. I wanted to get your opinion on nuclear power. I don't know. It's a hard question. Because, like, the on-paper solution that is presented in this documentary, right? Like, the way that they present their, what do they call it, traveling wave reactor. Yeah, yeah. The way it's presented is like, well, of course. Right. Right? completely safe no element of human error and we have enough resources on the planet already sitting in drums that we can't get rid of to power the world like on paper (laughs) this sounds amazing yeah 
I, I think this is always the problem with nuclear power is I agree with it on paper in this way. And I know that they must roll these statistics out a lot, but they talk about how like more people were killed by living near coal plants than nuclear plants. There yeah. is a, mm, there's a slight issue with this statistic of like there are less nuclear plants. But yes, I get what you're saying, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. But but even the numbers of of like living near nuclear power plants, how how dangerous is it? Like this, I get it. There, there is a little bit of like different stuff here, and there is so much truth behind the nuclear power plants that exist in the world are all terrifyingly old, and their construction dates don't tell you the truth about how old the designs they're actually using are. So I, I do think that that is a real issue, and that is part of the nuclear power is clearly a great answer on paper. And it also, like, it lends to something that Bill says a lot, and he mentions it, of like, I am only good in business situations where innovation is possible or needed. Right. Like He says, right. I am good at innovation. That's what I bring. If it is not an innovation situation, I bring nothing. And again, I like that because he is incredibly aware of himself, right? Like, he knows what he's good at and will find yeah. ways to move in those circumstances. And it clearly seems from the way it's positioned in this documentary that nuclear power very much needs innovation if it's going to continue. Well, and, and I also like his venture capital guy makes the comment about how Again, the way Gates thinks about stuff, we're like, oh, you make a lot of friends trying to cure polio. You don't make a lot of friends trying to build nuclear power stations, right? And how, yeah. Yeah. from Gates's perspective, that's actually a reason to go into nuclear power because it's another underfunded situation. Mm -hmm. of like, who wants to be the person who's seriously dedicating a lot of time to, let's build brand new nuclear power stations now? Everyone else is too scared of it. Right? Yeah. They're too scared of the perception of it. Yeah. Everybody else is, is scared of it. And even in countries that have been traditionally very pro-nuclear, like a lot of them have been dismantling the nuclear power stations. So it's like, this is a world without friends. Mm -hmm. And he's also in this situation, again, just like with the toilets, he has a great line of like, oh, if you're just trying to build one nuclear power station, you should just shoot yourself in the head before you start because it's going to cost like a bazillion dollars. Uh, <laughs> and I like that because he's like, oh, he's in the wholesale nuclear power plant construction business. Like, oh boy, that sounds really hard. That sounds really, really hard. But so, like, I don't have a strong opinion on nuclear power. I'm sort of theoretically for, but some smart people who are closer to the topic than I am, who I've talked to, are of the opinion that, yes, it's great on paper, but we should probably take the resources that we would spend on trying to build nuclear power plants and do other things with it. Just that it's it's a difficult, it's actually not a good place for marginal impact of additional dollars, that there are other alternative energy sources that it would be better to scale up faster. Just that like nuclear is going to take too long, also considering regulatory burdens, all the practicalities of actual life, the pushback you would get from people, even if you have a system that's safer, nobody cares and nobody wants to hear about that. Like they just, they just know like, oh, you want to build another nuclear power station. So 
so I don't, I don't know. I think on paper mm-hmm. it might be great, but in real life it has a bunch of real difficulties that may have nothing to do with how good or not good the solution actually is. So I don't know. I, I don't really have strong opinions one way or the other. I mean, would, would you want a nuclear power plant to go up behind Mega Studio? Right, but I also wouldn't want any type of plant. Right. You want nothing now. You're, now you're a NIMBY person as soon but as no, you have no, an like, office. <laughs> I don't want coal to go up or an oil right. processing plant or anything behind anywhere I am. A wind turbine? That you I don't to... want it. No, it's going right, to no. that's going to cause disruption to me. Right. Saying that I don't want those things in general is not correct. But right. nobody wants them in their backyard. Right. Right. right it's of just like not a thing that anybody wants because it's going to affect you somehow, or you're going to be scared of it affecting you. Right. Yeah. I mean, my feeling is like if what they are saying is true about mm-hmm. their plants, if they are what they say they are, I have no problem with him investing his money into it. Because I am also aware of the fact that he is investing his money into other renewable resource stuff. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then why not do both? Because even if you only built a couple of them and then all it did was use up the nuclear waste that's been generated, that is a net good to the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If it is as safe as they say it is and it won't have reactor meltdowns, which the way it's explained to me, I understand it. All right, I can see why you say that safer because the way that you've explained it to me compared to what is currently out there in the world, that makes sense. Like, if you could give this another name, people wouldn't freak out about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe maybe don't call them nuclear power plants. <laughs> right, because it's like, it seems like it doesn't have the same set of problems that current nuclear energy does because it's using the waste. So it's not even like at its most potent Right, like they talk about using liquid cooled metal, which could never get hot enough because the boiling point is so high. That you, I think right. they kind of said we'd have other problems if that was the situation. Right, that like this is going to start to boil. Like you're not going to care about the reactor exploding at that point. So it's like the way that they explain it all. It's like, well, this all makes sense if it is as good as they say it is. Why not have these as well? But of course. I don't know that. I'm sure that when original nuclear power plants were invented, they were perfectly safe based on what was being said, right? My point is, if what they are saying is true, I have no problem with it. Yeah. But I can't validate that. Yeah. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough physics knowledge to be able to validate if those power plants are safe. Yeah. I I have enough physics knowledge to be able to say, I can believe them that they're correct, which is slightly different. Like, they're not saying things or making claims that strike me as crazy right Mm -hmm. or or against the laws of thermodynamics it's like yeah that seems plausible but we also only know what we know right now exactly exactly. and then it's like in 45 years they're like oh crap depleted uranium's worse that is very unlikely but you could you could run into a problem of like oh the tips on the coolant cores are made of the wrong material and we just didn't know right Uh, you know that kind of problem so yeah, I don't know, but boy, is that a problem that is not an easy one and is is quite the thing to take on. And I just didn't, I just didn't have any idea. Not that it matters anyway, because <laughs> they can't build them, yeah. right? At least that's where it was left because of the issue with the American and Chinese governments right now. Right, they can't build yeah. them. So it's <laughs> a big wah wah sound at the end of that section. That was one of those things where like this comes up a few times in the documentary of like. While we, you know, we were saying Bill Gates is not inspiring, 
he clearly has a way of being able to get people to do what he wants because he's able to convince the Chinese government to work with him. They talk about earlier, like when he goes in to talk to all of these leaders in Nigeria mm-hmm. and gets them to agree to allow for his vaccines. Yeah. One of my favorite ones is the aerospace owner guy. But like this guy's building like military contracts and planes and Bill somehow convinces <laughs> oh, him to yeah, build right. a sanitation plant. <laughs> Like, how did that even happen? Yeah, that that is. I forgot about that. Where he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm building top secret equipment for the military." And Gates shows up. Is like, "Hi, how about you build toilets?" And he yeah. goes, "Okay, sure." <laughs> right. Like Bill Gates has the ability to convince people to do what he wants them to do, and I just find that I find that very intriguing. Right. That he has that power because it's clearly not money. Right. Like I don't think it's money a lot of the time in some of these situations i have i have a thought about that though okay because because this again is is like what we were saying before about steve jobs has like a reality distortion field and there's a there's a way in which if a thing doesn't exist you can inspire people to move in a direction and you can make it become so out of raw charisma yeah out of raw charisma Mm -hmm. but i i think that that is that is limited to very particular kinds of problems and that sort of charisma does not work for the sorts of problems that Gates is up against. Nuclear power does not yield to a really charismatic dude trying to convince people to work together on a problem. Okay. Right? Like, like you're up against the laws of the universe here. Mm-hmm. And in a lesser way, but I, th- I think it's the same thing, polio and toilets, they're the same kind of thing. Like... People are getting infected and water is dirty or it isn't. And an economical way to fix this or to cure this exists or it doesn't. And what I suspect, because there's there's a little thing where Bill Gates talks. I normally have no patience at all for people talking about their childhood. But there's, there's a little section where Bill Gates talks about how he, he was having this really difficult relationship with his parents and the whole family goes off to therapy and they pretend like, oh, we are all going to therapy. But actually, Bill needs to go to therapy mm-hmm. and he and his mom need to work stuff out. But there's a part which like, struck me as interesting and, and made me think about these later parts. So Gates says a couple of things and he says, oh, you know, my main problem was I felt that my parents' authority was arbitrary. Which is absolutely unbelievable. Like... As a phrase, because it's so true, and it's yeah, but it is yeah. fascinating that a child could work that out. Yeah, but but that's that's also again like man, Gates. Do I I feel you in this moment of of like I get it, like that that feeling of like my parents' our authority is arbitrary, like this school system is arbitrary. Like I think there's a way in which. Like, you can imagine a young Bill Gates having a really hard time with some of that stuff. Yeah, because, like, he understood how everything worked. Everyone was pretending, but he was smarter than everyone and had to just go along with it all. Yeah, so it it goes from there to, he says, oh, I'm at war with my parents. And then he's talking about the therapist that he was working with. And the therapist says, oh, but this isn't a fair war because you're going to hurt your parents way more than they hurt you. Like, you're, this, your framing of this as a war is totally wrong. And so Gates then describes how, like, oh, what a brilliant tactic this therapist took, and that he, he needed a little while to be convinced, but this basically unraveled the whole problem. 
right? Mm-hmm. That that he he was convinced on this. And I think there's something very interesting here because is like that therapist may have had the one thing he could have possibly said to a young Bill Gates that would be effective, which is, as Gates describes, a convincing response that like, yeah, your parents' authority is arbitrary. Uh, and yeah, you are in a fight with them. But here's here's other things that like you might not have considered. And then Bill Gates kind of changes his mind. Yeah, it's like, if you care about them, which he obviously did, yeah. right? Like, you have to understand that what you're doing... It's the, it, the it's weighted all wrong. Like you, yeah. you shouldn't do this, right? Like it's it is fascinating. The reason I mentioned this is because I think, like with the aerospace guy, or with being friends with Warren Buffett, or convincing people to work on polio or nuclear power or anything else, what I suspect is that this is not any kind of charisma in the Steve Jobs sense. I think Bill Gates is simply finding the people who respond very well to these kinds of arguments about impact per dollar unit time spent. And so I I kind of think that's what's occurring here mm. is it's not that he was able to like convince anyone to start building toilets. It's that the same person who is in charge of this manufacturing facility for secret government stuff is susceptible to, oh, I never thought about this. Like, that's a really convincing argument that one of the ways I should spend my time to have maximum impact is actually working on toilets. And so that's what I'm going to do. Or the same thing with polio or the same thing with nuclear power. I think it's that, that like some people will just really respond to oh, I've never heard this before as an argument. And it's super convincing for a kind of logical person. And this is now what I'm going to work on. So that's my guess about how he's able to get people to do stuff. I don't imagine that he has greater powers than a, a regular celebrity would have. I mentioned that partly because I have to get this before we finish on the record, but I totally hate a little bit of the way that the documentary ends because the narrator says like, oh, it's really easy to be carried away by someone who wants to change the world. And I think he's kind of talking about Gates like Gates is this inspiring figure, but I, I just don't. I just don't think that he's that sort of person. I think he's the sort of person that some people react very strongly to, but not others. Mm. And I think it's horrifically unfair how he he says to Gates, he's like, oh, you're trying to cure polio, but, you know, cases are up this year. So, have, like, are you able to achieve what you want to achieve? It's like, dude, yes, cases are up this year after a decade of decline and like narrowing it down to the smallest possible area. Yeah, I know, but he's wrapping it up. But it's like a good wrap up because it, but, but like I don't things. think it's no, I don't think no, it's a no. good wrap up. It's not a good wrap up because it's not fair. The three things he's focusing on are not working, right? Like that that's the wrap up. It's the wrap up is like what he's trying to get Bill to say is what he says, which is like Bill's like, "Yeah, but I'm just going to keep going." 
Yeah. But that's the inspiring message at the end of it, though, right? No, 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 but it's no, but it's not. But here's the thing. He undercuts that as well, because he says, like, oh, Bill Gates gives the answer that he always gives, which is to work harder. And that's that's his greatest thing. But I've also come to see that, quote, that diehard relentlessness is also his flaw. And it's like, fuck you. Right. Like how many kids don't have polio because of Bill Gates? It just made me so furious. Okay, I get that. Oh, I'm sorry. He didn't solve nuclear power for you, and maybe the toilet problem isn't fixed. Yeah, call me when hundreds of thousands of children have been spared a crippling disease because of you, right? Like, even if, oh, Bill Gates only has half a success because polio hasn't been completely eradicated, it's still such an incredible accomplishment beyond what almost any human will ever do is like yeah that's i'm still gonna count that as great and i just i I feel like it ends on this undercutting of of like oh well you know people are following him because he's inspiring but where has it gone not not very much so far I, i just hated it so much i hated the like the last couple of lines from the narrator so intensely <laughs> i mean i can see it i didn't get that kind of feeling from it but i can mm-hmm. i can understand that feeling i just had to get it on record because like i kind of came away from it of just like i feel sorry for gates that like mm-hmm. he wanted to have been able to achieve the ultimate success but hasn't been able to get there yet with mm-hmm. the things that he's focused on, like has made massive strides, but none of these things have gotten to where he wants, right? Because like he's had mm-hmm. to put more money into all of them, mm-hmm. you know? And I completely agree with you. Like the things that him and Melinda have done have made the world better overall, but like they mm-hmm. haven't yet been able to achieve the things that they have set out for. But it doesn't mean they won't. Right. But the documentarian just decided to wrap it up with that quote, I guess. I totally hated it. <laughs> and I, look, I'm not, I'm not taking that hate away from yeah. you. Yeah, but I do love that. Like, it's Gates's mom gets the final word of like, oh, uh, I forget exactly what she says, but something, something about like, oh, the thing that matters not is like who you are now, but it, you know, like who you who you become. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm pretty sure she'd be very happy with the results yes. of what her son has accomplished. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I'm, I'm very, I'm very glad that she got the last word in the documentary. Yeah, it was really nice. I, I did want to just touch on Bill and Melinda a little bit, like their relationship, because mm-hmm. it is fascinating. She is hilarious. Like the, the start of the second episode where they ask, like, what do you think his brain is like? And mm-hmm. she just loses it. Right, because it's just like trying to understand how chaotic she thinks his brain is, and like mm-hmm. trying to imagine living in that brain feels like hell to her in a way. Right, like mm-hmm. just there is no way, there is no way that I could deal with it. But like, you know, I just I I, I like their partnership. I, th- I think it's just it's kind of interesting. I really appreciate the equality in it. You know, mm-hmm. and obviously it seemed to be difficult at first, right? Because she was very private and didn't want to be in the public eye but then that meant that everybody ignored her in the foundation yeah yeah that if she didn't want to be seen and only bill was doing the press people would forget about her so she had to make the decision to become more public and Mm -hmm. it moved on from there i just thought it was really nice to see just how strongly he values her as well yeah they seemed really well suited to each other yeah and i i found that quite inspiring honestly like 
that the equality that they have and the the way that he really needs her she really needs him like they're in they are uh, like a a very tight unit mm-hmm. i just found that really just like really heartwarming and i'm pleased that she was as involved in the documentary mm. as she was because i thought it was it was very important as well to see that like she has clearly made an impact on him oh right? yeah and like yeah, for cooled sure. him down there was one thing i I did want to mention just about like the way that he would be at work where he said that he knew the license plates, everybody's license plates mm-hmm. and would walk through the parking lot to see who was in the office, man. And, uh, oh, and he said, uh, everyone can work part time. You just choose the 12 hours you want to work. <laughs> That's also the younger person of, of, uh, he has some line about, Oh, uh, I, I, I work all the time and I love it, but I don't force that on anybody. And it's mm-hmm. like, Mm, yeah sure maybe I, I you mean, don't yeah. force it on anybody but the guy who's walking around saying that he has a different set of expectations yeah yeah it's like it's, it's a little bit hard to square with oh i also know everybody's license plate and i'm always keeping an eye on who's at the office but you know i don't force working harder on you it's like uh <laughs> yeah. yeah it might not be written on paper anywhere but don't leave at five o'clock probably <laughs> So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great documentary. I'm pleased that you seem to enjoy it too. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's things I didn't like about it, but I would totally recommend it. I think it's it's really well made and it's really interesting. So yeah, I'd, I'd give it two thumbs up. I think it was a good recommendation. Yeah, I'm pleased that he did it. I just think it's interesting to find out stuff about these kinds of people because he's unique, really. Yeah. We're never going to see this about Steve Jobs. Yeah. You know, like Wozniak is not the kind of guy that would do this. So really, you've kind of just got Bill. Yeah. So getting him to talk about his life is important. It is important for history. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There are like three or four people that are responsible for changing the world to where we are now. And he's basically one of the only ones that will say anything. Yeah, yeah. And it's important to hear. CortexMerch.com. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget to get your uh, 100th episode commemorative t-shirt or the commemorative t-pro or stickers levels levels all of the great merch is there available for you at cortexmerch.com two weeks don't forget go buy it now cortexmerch.com